Well, last night, about 10 o'clock, I texted uh, Nick and asked him how he was feeling because I knew the family had COVID. And he said, all is well. And so I went to sleep. This morning, about 20 to 8, I looked at my phone. And starting at 6.30, things were blowing up. So, we have a lesson to do today. What a blessing it is. Happy New Year, everyone. As I've mentioned uh, on Wednesday night and then again on the Thursday night uh, broadcast, my personal theme this year is going to be Seeking Joy in 2023. And, and the reason uh, I'm going in that direction is I believe that we have been caught up in a vortex or a vacuum of bad news. Uh, they told us the pandemic was coming. They told us coronavirus is coming, coronavirus is coming. Uh, and if you looked out, the lamps were in the windows. Coronavirus is coming. And it came. And they herded us uh, to the inside of our homes. And we stayed there. Now, we, we, uh, we pivoted and we started doing different things. But the fact of the matter is, the bad news uh, just kept coming. But you know what? Here's the, here's the situation. At some point, we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice to believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And I believe that we are at the point now that what we need to do is, is pivot again and make the decision to go forward. We have to pivot and make the decision that even though things are different now, they are the way they are. And uh, if we have uh, 85 people here or 115 people here or 150 people here, then we need to be glad. Uh, whatever we have, if it's, uh, if it's five or if it's 5,000, we need to be focused on one thing. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can't get caught up in the metrics of the moment. You see, the metrics of the moment, as I uh, tip, uh, uh, talked about it on uh, Wednesday night, uh, the thief of comparison will steal your joy. If I, if I look and see that my neighbor has uh, a new, brand new beautiful Mercedes Benz and I don't, and I'm unhappy about it, whose fault is that? If I look and they have that three-story house with the big swimming pool in the backyard, and it looks like they have it made in the shade, whose fault is it when I am unhappy about it? And so we need to be making choices, folks. Now, I'm going to, to tell you that this discouragement is not easy just to, to, to jump past. But it, it, it can be done, and I believe that, that the foundation for the joy is going to be Jesus Christ. Now, one of the, the fantastic scriptures that I found uh, for the Wednesday lesson was simply that even in the midst of going to the cross, 
Jesus Christ was joyful. Think about it. If you think about it, he knew that he was going to be spat upon, hollered at, humiliated, beaten, and that spikes were going to be driven into his hands and feet. And yet, in the midst of that, knowing that, heading in that direction, he was joyful. Folks, we don't have it that bad, do we? Do we have it that bad? I don't know about you, but I look down at my hands and I look at my feet. I don't see any holes. I don't have, I don't have any place where spears have punched me in the side to see if I was still alive or not. So folks, we can be joyful. So, is life a little bit discouraging? You see, you get up each day and go through the same routine, then you go to bed. The next day you do it all over again, sort of like a rat on a treadmill, over and over. My question today is, would you like a little more joy in your life? That's rhetorical, but you could also yes or amen right there. So what we want to do is reveal how a Christian can have joy not only in everyday life, but in difficult times. So, where are the places that we can experience joy? I'm going to point out some scripture and look at some places that we can find joy that we wouldn't normally think about. First, first of all, joy in conflict. I don't, even, I don't know about you, but the idea of joy in conflict doesn't really seem to resonate with me. If I am going to be in conflict with Jack, Jack and I are going to get eye-to-eye, toe-to-toe, and we're going to we're going to talk it out. And in the midst of that, we, we won't throw punches, but we will throw words. Now, at the end of it, both of us will feel pretty sorry. But, you know, and, and eventually I know that knowing Jack, we would, we would hug it out. But the fact of the matter is, what the Bible teaches is that we can rejoice in the midst of con, uh, conflict. In Philippians uh, 4, in, uh, 2 through, I'm going to say around 4, reads like this. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask of you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Along with uh, Clements, and the rest of the co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So the suggestion is that there is a dispute among two women. Question is, are they good people? Absolutely. Are they Christians? Yes, their names written in the Lamb's book of life. But here they are in disagreement. Now, what I want to do is go to the next verse. The next verse says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Two lessons here about conflict. First of all, you need to be gentle in the midst of your conflict. Don't overpower people. Don't step on people. Correct them a gentle, loving way. But also, also here, rejoice. Why would we rejoice? 
it, it's the same answer every time today, is that we will rejoice because we know what happens in the end. You see, we have a picture of the long-term view already. We refer to it as the, uh, in eschat, uh, eschatological terms, the already and the not yet. You see, here, sitting here as people of God who have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ, we are members of the kingdom of heaven already. Uh, you know what? You're not excited. You should be excited about that. We are members of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and God is, is saying, you're already in. Tell you, good news. We, we have the long-term view of, of the already but not yet. And so in conflict, even though there may be harsh words, the fact of the matter is, there is still grace. So, is there a connection between the dispute and Paul's next statement about rejoicing there? Absolutely. Paul wants you to know and wants them to know that even in the midst of dispute. Now, as I contemplate that, have we ever had a dispute here in the body of Jesus Christ? I'm not even going to answer that one. We're, we're going to move on from there. The fact is we can't, and I'll tell you what, we have handled it poorly in the past uh, many times, but, but what we need to do is draw a line in the sand and, and look to the future uh, because the future is what God wants us to be looking at. And that is a future where we will be restored in the kingdom of heaven. Our second, I just did some editing on the go here. Our second area we need to look at is joy in the midst of loss. I'm telling you, this is, uh, this is a tough one for me. Uh, and and uh, it's, it's so striking because something is removed from your life and all of a sudden you have this empty spot for a moment, and what you want to do is fill that up with everything but Jesus. Uh, for me, a lot of times, what I, you know what? I, I've confessed this to you before, and I'll confess it again. When I am either happy, not happy, if I'm mad or sad, man, I'll, I, I hit the hostess Twinkie. When, when Monty brought in uh, several dozen cases of Hostess Twinkies uh, from the Second Harvest Food Bank that are stored right there in that room. Whoo, man. I was thinking I can eat away a lot of pain right there. However, however, I know that's not right, but thanks, Monty. <laughs> so the joy of loss. In Luke 15, 3 through 6, it says, Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. 
Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully uh, puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. See, the picture is that God and his angels experience joy when we claim Jesus as our Savior and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, if we were the lost sheep, how would you feel about being found? Can you imagine you are the lost sheep of all the other sheep and the shepherd has come out and he has found you? What a feeling that would be. Verse 7, he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Think about that. More, more rejoicing over someone who is saved now, or who was lost but is now saved, than over 99 righteous. The rejoicing in heaven, the angels are rejoicing. God is rejoicing over the lost being found. Compare the happiness of the sheep with the happiness of the shepherd. Who do you think should be happier? The shepherd or the sheep? Well, it, it appears that, well, first of all, it's a sheep. But imagine you're the sheep. You see, the shepherd has 99 other sheep. And for him, the lost sheep is only 1% of his concern. For the sheep itself, its own welfare is 100% of its concern. The sheep would be 100 times happier than the shepherd. Should be. But he's a sheep. Maybe he's only 50 times. But anyway, how should this uh, thought play into our joy in the Lord? The mere fact that God saved us from eternal death and forgave our ugly sins should be a source of great joy. Remember, it's 100% of our concern that we, while we were yet sinners, God died for the ungodly. God made the choice that even though we were 100% unsaved, when we found Jesus, we were saved. Another type of joy, obedient joy. John 15 9 and 10 says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So if we disobey God, does God stop loving us? No, God loves us. And, and if, if it was just about us being disobedient and God stopping on us, it would have been over a long time ago. Now, if you say God always loves us, regardless of our actions, what does he mean when he says, if you obey, you will remain in my love? It is a conditional statement, and, and I believe that if you, if you walk away from God, you made your choice. But here, here, God is still offering to you. Now, Matthew 7, 21. 
not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, obedience is, is one of uh, the keys here, isn't it? It's a key to the kingdom. God wants us to have a key so that we can open that gate and walk right in. Psalm 19.8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. To me, Psalm 19 is yelling and screaming at us. Look to see what God has said, and God will take care of you. The precepts are right, giving joy to the heart. Commands give light to the eyes. You can see where you need to go, and if you can see where you need to go, you are going to have joy. John 15, 10 and 11. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is one of the great parts of the story that we may not point out often enough. The imputation of joy. We all know what amputation is, right? In amputation, we, we whack it off. We cut it off. But in imputation, we are going to graft it in. We are going to put it in. And here, he's telling us that, or Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, I want to put my joy in you. And when his joy comes in us, he says, we have complete joy. Folks, I want to be completed by Christ. I want my joy to be completed by the one who is involved in the creation of everything. Uh, if he can create in me a new heart, then I can rejoice. You see, it seems that God takes joy in our obedience to him. So how do we have complete joy in obedience and what is it about obedience that gives us joy? Well, for me, what I believe that I see happening is if I am obedient, then I don't have a guilty conscience. Uh, if, if I am obedient, I'm not wearing a collar of shame. If, if I am obedient, I don't have to blame anyone for my shortcomings. When Psalm 19.8 refers to giving light to the eyes, it means we see something about the way the universe operates that we did not see before. You see, God loves us even when we are sinners. What we are unpacking here is the idea that God is opening up the secrets or the mysterion, the, the mysteries, so that we can understand things better.
But in his great love, God re revealed to us the rules for better living. If we obey those rules, we benefit from God's wisdom. Living better gives us joy. If we stray from the rules, we suffer, and then we lose our joy. That's the, the idea behind obedience. A lot of times when we look at the commands and the rules, uh, we, are, we, we say things like, he doesn't have the right to, to pressure me into doing things that I don't want to do. Everybody knows the correct Greek terminology there, right? Hogwash. The idea is God does have the right to ask for our obedience. And that obedience will benefit us. Also, what we have here is the joy of destination. As we, as we look at this, the idea that the disciples' grief will turn to joy. Can you imagine being a disciple at this particular time? When you have uh, basically put all your eggs in one basket. You, you have decided that you want to be a part of the next rulers of the world. You, you're waiting for that ascension to the, to the ivory tower in Jerusalem so that, that the Jews can actually conquer the world. And then along comes the cross. And you see your master die. Verse 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Jesus, talking to them pre-cross, tells them that he's going to die, but he's coming back. But listen, listen to the disciples. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while you will see me no more, then after a little while you will see me? And because I am going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? They just didn't understand what he was saying. He was telling them what was going on, that he was actually not going to be the ruler over the Roman Empire, the ruler of a superpower over the world, but he was going to be the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. And that's hard for anyone to grasp to grasp the, the mightiness of it, the, the largeness of it. And so today I ask you this, do you understand what Jesus' disciples did not understand? And we're talking about here the, uh, the joy of destination, and the destination is heaven. The, the destination is is leaving this world behind and going to the next world. Giving up the things of this world, even while we exist in this world, and start marching forward for Jesus, doing the things that he would want us to do. John 16, 19 through 24 says this, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, 
Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more? And then after a little while you will see me? Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is the time of your grief. But I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. In this passage, Jesus mentions joy several times. As we consider this context, uh, he is telling us what our source of joy is even till today. The fact of the matter is, it's the gospel message that Jesus came to this world, Jesus lived in this world, Jesus died in this world, Jesus was put in a grave in this world, and Jesus was resurrected. So, Jesus is telling us that we can have complete joy because we have victory over death, that we have victory over sin, that we have victory over the things in this life. Lastly, what we want to talk about is the spirit of joy. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace. Uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So how does the Holy Spirit help us to have joy? Remember, uh, a little bit ago, what we talked about was the imputation of the Spirit. In Acts 2.38, the question is just asked, how can I be saved? Repent, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which happens once we make that commitment in the watery grave of baptism. So how does the Holy Spirit help us to have joy? He gives it to us. He gives it to us by coming into us and living within us. But what he also told us in Galatians is that sinful passions and desires are contrary to the Spirit-led life, and all of those lead to trouble. So turn your focus around and focus on the fruit, the things that cause growth, the things that cause your joy to increase. In Acts 2.28, it says this, quoting Psalm 16, You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy 
in your presence. We have another reference here to God's secret rule in the book of life, but we are also told that God's presence brings us joy. Being in the presence of God brings you joy. And so again, we ask the question, how can we come into the presence of God? How can we get there? I don't know about you, man. I want to be filled with joy. I want to be, uh, be feeling that which, even though I'm having the worst day I've ever had in this uh, world, that I still feel the joy of Jesus in my heart. So how can we come into the presence of God? You see, God's Spirit is everywhere and allows you to live in God's presence. Psalm 16 here uh, links God's presence and knowing the, the, and following the paths of light. Remember, we talked about obedience just a second ago. The idea is, is if you're on the paths, you're obedient. If you're following him, you can have the joy that God offers. Folks, I just want you to join me in seeking joy in 2023. If you are about to say something negative, pause for a moment. If you are uh, going to uh, espouse uh, conspiracy theories that have no foundation, well, or conspiracy theories that do have foundation, stop for a moment. I can tell you that conspiracy theories were abounding in the first century. People were trying to figure out what was going on. I can only imagine as Peter is preaching in Acts 2, he finally gets to a point and tells the crowd that they are the Christ killers. Folks, I have bad news for you today. We, we are the Christ killers. If we sinned against God, it had to be, uh, something had to be paid in return. The payment for our sin is Jesus Christ. And so, a as we look at this, uh, this, in Acts 2.36, when the crowd recognized that they were the Christ killers, their question was simple. How then can we be saved? How then can we be saved? And that's the question that all of us at some point have to ask. See, is it going to be six jump ropes, some jumping jacks, and turn around three times and I'm going to be saved? No. Uh, is it some made-up thing of some other man from some other organization that's going to tell me the best way to get to heaven? Is that what works? Folks, in Acts 2.38, and I've already quoted it once, I'm going to quote it one more time. What, what can we do to be saved? Repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to change. Repent is not a word that I use every day 
when I'm talking to everyone. But it means to change. It means to change directions. It means if I'm going this way, to turn around. If I am walking towards sin, it means I stop abruptly and go away from it. Repent and be baptized. The idea of baptism is full immersion under the water. It doesn't mean to be sprinkled. It doesn't mean to be dabbed on the forehead. Uh, there are a lot of different things. Uh, it doesn't mean to rain down on you. It means to go fully under the water. When I was in Cambodia and I was uh, teaching a class there, and I, at this point in the lesson, and I mentioned that, they all looked dumbfounded that I was explaining uh, that they, they would be submerged. And when I asked the interpreter why, why do they look puzzled at this point? He goes, well, in Kamai, the word in the Bible is submerged. See, baptism, you have to repent and be baptized. And what does that do for you? For the forgiveness of your sins. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what we've learned in today's lesson is that the Spirit brings joy. So folks, today, if you have ever been baptized before, but you have walked away, good news today is joy can return. Joy can come to you, and joy can be a part of, of your lifestyle. However, if you've never been baptized, today is also a good day. Because you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for joy. We thank you for giving us uh, the lifestyle that lets us, even as we feel beaten up and battered in this life, we can know that we have hope. Father, we thank you for this joy that separates us from others in this world. And Lord, I ask you to help us to bring this hope and joy to more people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.